Welcome to Investing for Ocean Impact, the podcast making the business case for conserving our ocean. I'm Dorothy Hem. While many of us sit behind our desks or in boardrooms, others are out in the field, making nature-based solutions a reality on the ground. And out there, lots can happen. Project developers and investors need to be flexible and adaptable alike. For instance, last season, we spoke with Nick Hill, co-founder and CEO of Coast for Sea. They work with local farmers in the marine protected areas in the Philippines to help produce and sell seaweed. In particular, seaweed containing compounds called carrageenans, which are used in a wide range of products from soy milk to shampoo. But around a month after we recorded with Nick, their main base of operations in the Philippines was hit by a violent super typhoon, devastating the base and the surrounding communities. And it happened just as they were about to close a crucial deal a $500,000 investment from Conservation International Ventures, or CI Ventures. But after the storm had hit, CI Ventures did something vital for both Coast for Sea and the local farmers that depend on them. welcoming Nikhil back onto the podcast. Hi Dorothy, thank you so much for having me back. And joining him is Gracie White, Senior Manager of Global Ocean Investments at CI Ventures. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Nick, it's really great having you back. For those of us that don't recall every detail, can you remind us how Coast for Sea works with seaweed farmers and how you build the business model around that? Sure. Thanks, Dorothy. Yeah, so um, well, Coast for Sea, we're aiming to build the world's largest supply chain for regenerative seaweed. We don't produce seaweed ourselves. We work with those small scale seaweed farmers, um, particularly in the Philippines and Indonesia, who are currently growing the world's most cultivated seaweeds. These are the eukaryotoid seaweeds. Um, and we work with them to help improve their production improve access to price and so on that they can achieve and importantly make sure that it's sustainable. Um, so yeah, we work with those seaweed farmers, support them to build their capacity to produce the seaweed, increase the value of the product that they produce and then we buy it from them at a premium price, aggregate from multiple seaweed, many seaweed farmers across many different communities and then process it for export to Caragena markets. And are there some other revenue streams or business lines that you're looking at or working with the farmers? Absolutely. So the number one revenue line is seaweed, the sale of seaweed at the moment. But we also um, uh, work with the same coastal communities to intercept end of life fishing nets that are then processed for the recycling market. So we export end of life fishing nets as well. And they, that goes into for recycling into fashion and flooring. And we're very excitingly, we're exploring the blue carbon opportunity, particularly linked to mangroves, thanks in huge part to the ICM BCAF funding, which is the Blue Carbon Accelerator Fund um, that we were recently successful with. And we're on a project being led by the Zoological Society of London. We spoke about a year ago uh, when we first introduced Coast for Sea. What has happened in the meantime? Gosh, yeah, yeah, a lot's changed in a year. I guess one of the big things that happened um, not too long after we um, last spoke was this small matter of climate change, which is one of the main reasons we exist. So Super Typhoon Adet, 
hit the Philippines on in December 2021. It went straight over the top of um, the, our main areas of operation in northern Bohol. A huge amount of damage and destruction. Thankfully, not as much loss of life thanks to the preparation and uh, you know responses were de- that were developed after Super Typhoon Haiyan, so the capacity to deal with these sorts of disasters. But a huge amount of damage to infrastructure, including our own infrastructure, warehouses, boats, etc., and particularly the infrastructure of the communities that we work with um, was particularly bad and also a huge impact on seaweed, obviously. So it took out massive area of seaweed production in the central Philippines. So that's been a big focus of our operations since then to help communities to rebuild following Super Typhoon Odette. More excitingly, and the positive news is that we um, we received investment from Conservation International Ventures. Um, so we've got someone, there's Gracie here from Conservation International Ventures on the line. And yeah, so we were just going through the process of securing that um, finance just before a debt hit. And I think, in fact, you actually got the approval, Grace, if I'm right, from your investment committee, I think the mm-hmm. day before a debt hit. Yeah, um, so the day before. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very mixed emotion. So I remember at the time, you see this storm bearing down on us. And although at that time, we knew it was going to be a tropical storm and it was going to be quite bad, um, but it was thought to be a Category 1. And within a few hours, it jumped to Category 5, um, not long before it was due to hit the following day. But um, thanks to the amazing support of Gracie um, and the team at CI Ventures, then we managed to get that deal back on track again, because obviously that was a major change um, before we had managed to sign the contract. So we had to um, adjust plans and everything else to be able to take on that investment. So um, we finalised that that um, that agreement in March or April of 2022. Yeah, I think it was March. End of March, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Wow, we are really the reality of good and bad news, uh, literally next to each other at the same time. But maybe, Gracie, can you tell us a little bit what CI Ventures is and what are you doing in this space of uh, finance for ocean conservation? Yeah, absolutely. So CI Ventures is a philanthropically capitalized impact first fund um, managed under Conservation International. So the big NGO that most people have heard of. We kind of take this, this very flexible capital and we're able to deploy it into emerging markets, into um, startups that have social and environmental impact kind of baked into the business model. And yeah, we, we look for, you know, startups kind of all over the world, primarily in the regions where CI as the larger organization works. So the global South. And so Coast Force C was was one of my first investments after joining the CI team. And it's been really wonderful working with Nick. And what excited you and your investment committee about Coast for C? Yeah. So my background is actually primarily in seaweed aquaculture. And so coming into CI Ventures, I sort of knew that seaweed was going to be quite a big part of my work. Something I will mention is that CI Ventures, because we're philanthropically capitalized, we're able to take on a little bit more risk that traditional funders would probably shy away from. So whether that be certain geographies or certain nascent industries, we can invest in startups that are working on something that has a, a lot of potential to create, you know, really compelling environmental or social impact and kind of de-risk it and make it a little bit more investable for other funders down the line. That's kind of one of our one of our main goals as a fund. And so so, you know, with Coast for Sea, I think it was that with the seaweed that Coast for Sea is working in, the eukematoids going into the carrageenan market, the market already exists and the market is enormous. 
And that's not really the case for a lot of seaweed aquaculture happening in the U.S. and Europe. It's still emerging in a way that the tropical seaweeds for carrageenan and additives, emulsifiers, thickeners already exists. It's just not an industry or a market that we really talk about that much. Initially, that was really interesting to me, but then sort of talking to Nick and learning a bit more about sort of the social and environmental safeguards that are really baked into the business model at every step in the value chain, I was really struck, especially by kind of Nick's thoughtfulness around the business model. Um, like he really thought about the details on how every sort of aspect of Coast 4C would affect the main stakeholders and the main stakeholders being the communities that he's working with. That was a big part of, of why I was drawn to Coast 4C and why I thought it was a good fit for CI Ventures. And a very strong argument uh, indeed to keep that balance between environmental social impact, but then of course the financial viability. But then the typhoon struck. So what was the reaction or what were some adjustment made? Maybe first Gracie and then we'll let mm -hmm. Nick respond as well. Yeah, absolutely. I remember we had been talking almost every day that week, I think, sort of getting ready for the final investment committee meeting and final approval for the deal. And Nick had mentioned that there was this typhoon potentially coming their way, but we didn't know how bad it was going to be. And then I remember, I think it was like two days before Christmas, maybe, I get the email from Nick being like, hey, this is way, way worse than anyone thought. Um, I think it, it, like some of your staff members were still missing at that point. It was stressful. And I was on the other side of the world, but I was still like, I just remember reading your email and being like, oh, we're going to have to really like make some adjustments to these terms to make this work. And I guess for me, it, it wasn't really a question of a, oh, infrastructure has been sort of destroyed. Maybe this isn't as good of a, a business case. We should rethink this. It's a no, this is like our, our funding is needed now more than ever. How can we, you know, increase the flexibility of our terms in order to fit the needs of Coast 4C? That's another good part of working for a, a philanthropically capitalized fund is that you do have that kind of flexibility to sort of meet the needs of the company um, when extenuating circumstances like this happens. And I was really thankful to kind of have that flexibility of our funding structure sort of behind me in, in re-navigating this, this deal. It was extraordinarily helpful for us as well um, to be able to have that support. And, you know, it's kind of the proof was in the pudding. You spend a lot of time when you're in the fundraising mode trying to find the appropriate partners, effectively the appropriate um, funders who, who where you've got this similar sort of goal, a similar sort of vision for where you want to be. And that was uh, um, really proof for us that, you know, we'd find the right people with, with CI Ventures um, and Gracie's that, that could help work us through this incredibly difficult issue. It's not our first rodeo with a super typhoon, unfortunately, um, and I, I somehow suspect, unfortunately, it won't be our last. But ultimately, this is, whilst it's, you know, it's a terrible event, and we did have staff affected, as Gracie said, it was pretty terrifying for quite a few weeks. It totally knocked out comms um, for the area. Um, nobody had access, like none of the authorities, no press, nobody had access down there. So we started to only get dribs and drabs of information out from people who managed to be able to get out of the area and make it into an area with connection. It decimated the second biggest city in the Philippines, Cebu City, um, with the airport and the port and everything else. 
So logistics, infrastructure, everything from being able to move cash around, get cash to where it's needed. You know, when your mobile phone system goes down, we've become so dependent on mobile phones these days, literally nothing works. Um, so there's no way of getting cash anywhere. Um, there's only a couple of ATMs open in the whole of the Bahol province. Um, there were huge queues for for days stretching out, limited amount that people could get and withdraw from there. Thankfully, everybody was okay, which is the first thing you spend time focusing on over Christmas. We were spending those two weeks trying to track down whatever we can uh, and make sure that everybody's okay and then start to help the team themselves to be able to get, you know, shelter over their heads and so on. And in all this time, you know, Gracie and the the CI Ventures team were so incredibly supportive. It was fantastic because you kind of got this back of your mind as well. We've got this huge thing that's really important that we need to help grow. And what's going to happen? How can we make that? So so to be able to have that kind of peace of mind that this wasn't something just like saying, okay, no, we can't go anywhere near this anymore. um, That was really fantastic. And then in terms of the mission and support, you know, whilst this is a tragic event, ultimately, this is what we are here for, part of what we are here for. So we do see a very big strengthening of our relationships with those coastal communities during times like this because we were able to extend support to them pretty quickly compared to most of the other aid agencies and organizations who are coming in to try and help communities but they've got huge numbers of priorities in different areas and all the rest of it covering huge geography um so our partner communities are people they look to us to see how they how we can support so it was a it was a very very trying challenging time at the end of an exhausting year but I think something really positive came out of it. And that was really the deal with the CI Ventures. So, And that's been fantastic at helping us to kind of put in place the plans and start driving forwards that recovery. Um, and we've had to spend a lot of time helping to rebuild the biomass of seaweed on the ground. And this comes off the back. Remember, this is like super typhoons don't just come out of nowhere. They come from climate change and warming of the water. And the reason it developed so quickly was because the water temperatures and and the um, eastern side of the the Philippines were five degrees warmer than even the computer models are predicting. And the La Nina that was going on, we're now going into a third season of La Nina. So this overall weather pattern is actually creating a a challenge, a constraint within the seaweed value chain beyond just the area that it was already hitting. So we've really had to work a lot on kind of rebuilding that biomass, supporting those coastal communities, putting in place nurseries to help get seaweed farming back on track. Um, And in the meantime, the coastal communities are really looking to seaweed because they've had such a bad experience with fish during the period of COVID. Access to fish markets being cut off and all the rest of it. Um, And people complain there just weren't any fish left after the super typhoon for quite some time. So they're really looking to seaweed to help rebuild their livelihoods. I think it shows that on one hand, the reality on on the ground, even if we'd like in the boardrooms of the world, that these projects are very linear, we see that they are not. And I think having, as you said, the potential partners that have flexibility in the system, I think, seems here incredibly needed and and of of yeah great importance. But maybe Nick, you can also tell us a little bit more about you know you, you got a loan from CI Ventures. What does that mean in the bigger scheme of things of where you've come from and where you want to go? That's a really good question, Dorothy. And you know it comes back to ultimately what this podcast is all about, right? Um, and how you try and create this deal flow of, of um, nature based solutions effectively that are coming through from projects through to investable enterprises. Um, and for us, that journey started with um, with yourselves, with the Blue Natural Capital Finance Facility, um, and then moving into the investment from CI Ventures, which is an incredibly important milestone. And we're still on that journey, I think. We've still got some ways to go. Ultimately, I guess the, the ultimate goal for most people is to take on equity investment. And ultimately, we'll, we'll aim for some an equity investment further down the line. 
I think for organizations such as ourselves and particularly you know, nature-based solutions in the tropics, really you're looking at trying to invest in coastal communities, small-scale producers. And that's a bit of a challenge from an investment scenario because you don't have large quantities of capital assets to invest in. Um, you're really trying to invest in the social capital, your network of suppliers and so on. So how do you make that an investment proposition? The best way to kind of move towards um, equity investment, I think, is to be able to demonstrate a growing revenue stream. And this is where being able to take on the investment from the CI Ventures as revenue-based finance has been incredibly helpful from that perspective in this journey. And I think it's going to be an incredibly important foundation as well. So it's wonderful for me to see the kind of this ecosystem really coming together. You've got these, uh, you can really start to see that bridge starting to appear now um, where people were talking previously about there being this real challenge with too much money that's trying to be um, allocated and not enough deal flow coming through. Yet lots of projects that kind of philanthropic and so on. How do you connect those two together? And now we're starting to see that bridge coming together, which is fantastic. Gracie, do, do you agree with, with Nick's description of the journey and, and where does CI Ventures or fit in also in the long term? Who, who comes after you or with you? Yeah, that's, that is a good question, I think. Somewhat of the, the million dollar question for all startups. Um, but I do, I do agree with everything Nick said. I mean, I think for this investment, revenue-based financing makes a lot of sense. It's really flexible in terms of, you know, the payback timing and the payback amounts. It can sort of ebb and flow based on how things are going, you know, with, with the business itself. Um, you know, moving forward, I, I think, you know, most companies do want to look to take on equity and I, I certainly see, I see more equity players in this space, um, potentially, you know, being willing to sort of take on a position in a company like Coast 4C. I think especially as there is more, more development in terms of end uses and various kind of higher value markets. I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg right now in terms of all of the various end uses that these kind of tropical seaweeds can sort of fit into. So carrageenan, agar, alginate, those are obviously huge markets right now, but they're still kind of based on quantity. And I think we're just starting to see that kind of initial innovation around other Other uses, you know, I think bioplastics is one space to watch. But as those potential industries grow and develop as well, I think that that access to higher value markets will also lead to more equity options for investors. From an investor's point of view, what do you think still needs to happen either on the governance, the regulatory or the policy level to make your life easier as well and really channel even more money into projects like the one that we heard from Nick about? I mean, what what is compelling again about Coast 4C is sort of the place that Coast 4C exists within the value chain. Coast 4C is not necessarily producing the seaweed and they're not necessarily making the, the end product, but they're connecting all of the dots. And where we are kind of in market development right now for tropical seaweeds, that's a really good place to be because it gives Coast 4C a lot of flexibility in terms of where they can source from, where they can go. They can really sort of 
choose and grow with the market essentially and never totally be outpaced by one or the other. I think you have some companies that are are struggling right now if they're on one end of the value chain or the other they they're sort of dependent on the other side growing at the same time and that doesn't always happen. But with Coast 4C they're right in the middle so they can always sort of counterbalance the market dynamics and the other players. Yeah, from our perspective, I mean, that's a really interesting point. And it's a nice spot to be in. It's a really nice spot to be in. And timing with all these things is really, really important. And what we're seeing within the carrageenan value chain is increasing interest uh, in sustainably sourced seaweed. And that is a real weak point. So whilst a lot of people look at seaweed as being kind of sustainable, by definition, we know from the world's most cultivated seaweeds, the eukaryotes, that you know anything that you do at scale has the potential to have a negative impact from a social and environmental perspective. And some of the biggest players in the value chain and the market side of things, the carrageenan producers, are really looking to source sustainable seaweed, and they're really struggling with how to do that. So that's a very helpful position for us to be in. And whilst at the same time there's this fantastic emerging opportunities in new markets, and as, as Gracie says, particularly biopolymers, there could be lots of other applications um, that could be coming up as well. And to be in a place where we can work with these small-scale producers, we're talking millions and millions of small-scale producers who are dependent upon the ocean, dependent upon fishing, and to be in a place where we can help them to access those and help them to increase their production. And not only that, um, but make sure that it's linked to regeneration of the ocean. We very much link ours, as you know, um, Dorothy, to regeneration by integrating it within community-based marine protected areas and empowering communities to set up these community-based marine protected areas, along with some other practices that reduce plastic and so on. And this is really, you know, really important to the coastal communities that we work with because they are dependent upon the ocean. It's not just seaweed. There is fish that they need to be able to get from the ocean as well. Um, And they need mangroves for coastal protection, as we've seen from Saifu Nadet and so on. So this opportunity to work with these small scale fishers and help address those sustainability issues and look to new markets, start to scale towards those new markets as well, is a really, really exciting place to be right now. So as a last word, what are your lessons learned from your, well, many years on this journey? What, what are your takeaways? I think the big, one of the biggest takeaways, this is a really good question, next Dorothy, but um, I think last time I mentioned that um, if I knew now what I knew, if I knew then what I know now, sorry, um, may never have started on this journey, that was very tongue-in-cheek comment. But I think, you know, one of the biggest things that's really changed, as I say, is this development of this e- ecosystem more broadly, where it's increasingly possible to make that transition, to make that journey now. In terms of takeaways, I think a lot of things that you have to be able to plan for the unexpected, be nimble, I suppose, particularly when it comes to climate, especially if we're working in this sort of environment. Climate change, we know, is real, um, but we don't need any more kind of events such as super typhoons to prove to us that, that it's real and it's here and it's impacting people. But unfortunately, these things do happen and they will throw a curveball. So you have to build in some sort of flexibility to deal with that and work out what your role is when that happens. And then I think another piece really is time frame. Um, you know, Gracie spoke to the fact that the, the, the revenue-based finance is a really important kind of flexible source of, of finance for organizations like, the, like us. And I think that's really true. I think, you know, when I started off this journey, I didn't necessarily know what type of finance um, we'd want to be wanting to be taking or need to be taking on. Obviously, everybody talks about equity and so on. But actually, I think this revenue-based finance is probably one of the most important types of finance for organizations like us, because it really gives us that flexibility and that capability to kind of to invest and start growing our value chain. But at the same time, recognize things take time. <laughs> and we, one of the things we've been doing since the last time I spoke to you, Dorothy, is actually setting up the local structures in the Philippines 
And that takes time. It's taken an awful lot of time. We've got some really good lawyers on the case, one of the top three lawyers in the Philippines. And it just, yeah, the, the amount of bureaucracy and hoops to jump through are enormous. So make sure you plan enough time for that. Yeah, more, more time than we expect. I can sign that one. But Gracie, what, what are your lessons learned and takeaways? <laughs> yeah, I will, I will also co-sign the everything takes more time than you, than you think it will um, and, and plan for the unexpected. But otherwise, you know, I think a couple things. I mean, one, when I started off working with Coast for Sea and talking to Nick, I, I didn't really know that much about carrageenan. No one really knows exactly what it is until you are working with a company like Coast 4C. And so now I'm I'm just telling everyone who will listen that carrageenan is seaweed and you're probably consuming it or using it in some way almost every day of your life. And it's a value chain like worth putting some thought into. And otherwise, I think kind of going back to the the typhoon and sort of recovery efforts, um, something that I noticed is, so I was lucky enough to be able to go and visit. Um, that, I mean, that was a really incredible experience for so many reasons, but one of which was sort of seeing the rebuilding happening in real time. And I remember going out on the boat with Nick and the team and seeing seaweed farms just as far as the horizon. And I was sort of commenting on that to Nick that, oh my gosh, there's so much seaweed. Um, but he was like, oh no, this is like the low season and it's after a, a typhoon. This is, this is nothing. That was only a couple months after this typhoon had happened. And the rebuilding process and the biomass production that was already taking place was still substantial. And so that made me feel actually quite optimistic and excited to be, you know, supporting Coast for Sea in sort of their their work in helping these communities to rebuild and restart and providing, you know, these farmer input packages. And yeah, so that that was it made me hopeful. And I think an important one coming back to Gracie's point there actually is that um, a lot of people write off small scale producers from an investment perspective, but ultimately small scale producers just means what one individual unit is doing. And when you're doing when enough of them are doing it, it becomes very, very large scale. And really, you know, one of the things I keep saying in the seaweed space is that small scale seaweed farmers are really important because they have the local ecological knowledge to be able to make it work. Um, seaweed isn't very easy to grow necessarily by itself. So it's really exciting to work with these small scale seaweed farmers and small scale producers and, and be able to help. You know, we, we complement each other, I think, as Coast 4C and the, and the farmers complement each other very well in helping to build this value chain. Thank you to my lovely guests this week, Nick Hill and Gracie White. Barely a week after we recorded this conversation, yet another super typhoon hit the Philippines, Super Typhoon Noru. The flooding devastated the north of the island of Luzon and displaced tens of thousands of people. Thankfully for Nick and the local communities, the storm was a long way from their sights. But it's a gripping reminder that climate change is here to stay. Next time, we're returning to the offices and boardrooms and talking to the managers of two investment funds about what they're really doing to help the ocean. 
Investing for Ocean Impact is a fresh air production on behalf of IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. It was produced by Phil Sansom with production assistance from Kamal Joseph. To find out more about the subject, visit our website, bluenaturalcapital.org. I'm Dorothy Herr. Thank you for listening.